as old as time itself unfolds. Many souls bound together with one destiny. The fate of the world rests upon their shoulders. Grand adventure, political intrigue, and many deadly enemies line their path to greatness. This is the story of the dreadful six, Dragon's Bane. Into the darkness ran the four, dodging trees, limbs, and roots, and digging their heels into the forest floor, the death of children driving them on, while remembering everything from Crixus's lore, refusing to back down and unwilling to quit, to make sure this devil returns nevermore. Into the darkness runs the four, the souls of the dead must lend them strength for death waits on both sides of this coming war. Griv, Formir, Abrax, and Marcel rush into the woods, leaving Carissa behind to tend to the mother who had just lost her children. The atmosphere around them feels different, this time as they venture out into the dark woods. This time, the surrounding area feels numb, as if it had been infested by evil and darkness. They run in a full sprint for as long as they can until finally they must slow down. There are no birds singing in the trees, no small game rustling around on the forest floor. Everything is quiet, apart from the slight breeze that moves the treetops ever so often. As they begin to draw close to the den once more, a quiet voice seems to ring out through the trees above the wind. Wait. Hello? Did anybody hear that? Hear what? There was a voice that spoke out. What did it say? It told us to wait. Wait for what? Well, if I knew, I would have told you, genius. This is not the time to be hateful. Bear left and wait for me. I will come to you all at dusk. You must be patient. Does this person really not understand a pack of wolves just killed these two children. Seriously. I believe that they do. I also believe that they know we will die if we rush in without thinking things through. Dusk is only a couple of hours away now. Maybe it would be smart to take a chance and catch our breath. Come up with some sort of plan. Though I want to rip Crixus and his pack in half with my bare hands now, you are not wrong in this thinking. Where are we even going to go? Obviously we can't get too close to the den, otherwise Trixus will know we're there. We've already failed to surprise him once and the two children died because of it. There's no guarantee that we are the reason for the attack. It may have been the most possible, but not the only one. We must not continue to put the weight of the children's deaths on ourselves, or we will not be able to continue with ourselves. Whether we're responsible or not, their deaths were violent. We must avenge them, and doing this will ensure the safety of the rest of the children. Whoever this voice in the wilderness is, best know what they are doing. 
This is too strong of an enemy for us to wait for too long. I'm sure that if they believe it to be too dangerous for it to wait a few hours, they would not have told us to do so. I will begin searching around for a place with many different scents that may cover our own from the noses of the pack. I shall see if this voice will continue speaking. More information surely cannot harm us. Formir's form changes once more into that of a wolf. He begins searching and sniffing around, looking for a location within the thick underbrush that may be able to mask the group's scents from Crixus and the pack. Abrax continues to reach out to the voice, but receives nothing in return. After about ten minutes, Wolfmere returns and drops his animal form. I found a place nearby. It should cover our scents. Follow me. How confident are we going into this fight? Speaking as a friend or a companion? Companion first, friend after. Well, as a companion, we will fight side by side no matter what the outcome, and if death comes for us, then we'll go down and find together. As a friend, we're probably screwed. <laughs> Thank you for your vote of confidence, Marcel. Honesty is the best virtue, eh, Brex? You three stop whining and bickering, and come on. We need to remain as quiet as possible here. Man, Former sounds kind of upset or something. I wonder if it's because he failed to hide their sense when they came here last night, and that that's the reason those two kids are dead. But that's just my thinking. There is no need for you to be so condescending. Listen here, you worry about the story and people's feelings, and I'll tell it like it is and keep it interesting. Capiche? Fine. The group follow Formir into the area he has found to keep them well hidden. They sit quietly in the brush, waiting for dust to come. Their surroundings are completely silent, showing the severity of Crixus's power. In the distance, they can see the beginning of the small clearing that houses the wolves' den. Huffs, howls, and barks can be heard coming from the opening as the sound of wolves moving around encompasses the group, as it echoes off the trunks of the surrounding trees. The group sits and waits until finally the sun begins to set. From behind them, the voice returns as vines grow rapidly around them, trapping them within nature's grasp. Do not be afraid. I have come to give you assistance. As the group turns around to look in the direction that the voice came from, they see a tall woman clothed in a white tunic, holding a bow in her hand. At her side stands a rather large elk, seemingly her pet. She stows the bow on her back and approaches the group, kneeling down when she reaches them, and invites them to kneel with her. I am Artemis, goddess of the hunt and the moon. I have never seen someone so beautiful and intimidating. I thought I recognized you. You are a servant of Vulcan, yes? Yes, and I have heard that he will occasionally fashion arrowheads for you when you have a big hunt coming. That he does. He is a true friend, and I am glad to meet one of his servants. Why have we waited until now, Artemis? Why do we not go ahead and go through with it hours ago? Patience, Abrex. The time has not yet come for you four to face death itself. Not alone, anyway. What do you mean? Out of those present, Formir, I thought at least you would know why it is best to wait until dusk. Or have you forgotten in your rage and fear? Ah, uh, how could I have been so blinded? I should have known better than to rush in headlong before sunset. Yes, I am happy to see you have come back to your senses. 
Try not to lose them again. What am I missing here? You see, wolves hunt during the twilight hours of the evening, and will do so all night. Right now, every wolf that Crixus has turned is in that den. And if we had continued, we would have been better off just to slit our own throats for the amount of good we would have been able to do. I ask that you wait for another hour to make sure the majority of the wolves are gone from that den. Then, that is when you must attack. There is no guarantee that these wolves will even hunt tonight. If Crixus is as smart as he seems, he will have his pack stay close to protect him from retaliation from us. I have that handled. All I need from you is ruthless aggression. This is a devil which I have dealt with before in the past. Right now, he is nowhere near the level of power he was when he faced Hercules, so you have a chance. I don't mean to question you, O oh great hunter, but how can you be so sure of yourself? Gather near to me and kneel. The group draws closer to Artemis as she reaches her hands out toward them. She begins speaking in an ancient tongue as magical power flows from her body and into the group. Take my blessing and strike down that which is evil. I will give you a distraction to give you the chance to infiltrate the den while luring away a number of the wolves. Good luck, adventurers. Hey, do we have a uh, translator nearby to figure out what the heck she just said? We couldn't afford the hourly rate, so no. Man, this economy's in shambles. Alright then. Well, from what she said afterwards, I think it's safe to guess that this was her blessing. Artemis smiles slightly and bows before jumping up on top of the elk and taking off into the clearing. The group watches as Artemis and the elk becomes one and turn into a truly massive creature. Wolves begin to stalk slowly as the elk walks across the opening, until all at once nearly 15 wolves take off in a mad dash towards the elk as it runs off in the darkness. That's it. This is our chance. We have to move now. Agreed. With this blessing, I feel as if we could rip the head from a bear. Then let us use it to rid the world of this evil. Anubis, Lord of the Dead, prepare yourself and your court for the soul of this devil. For once we have defeated it upon Terra, I will be sending it to you for further judgment. Judge it harshly. The four approach the den slowly, so as to not make too much noise, and enter. Formir holds a small flame in hand to give them a little light in the darkness. The inside of the den is dark and damp. Water drips from the natural earth ceiling to the dirt below. The den itself is much larger than they originally prepared for, as they can see it continue down into darkness for what seems to be hundreds of feet. The air is stagnant and filled with the mixture of wet wolf and decomposing flesh. They continue on for a few minutes until they reach what seems to be a small cavern within the den. Marcel feels around on the walls and senses something familiar. As he smells his hand, he turns back to Formir. 
The walls of this cave have a small amount of flammable material. I cannot recall the name of it right now, but I remember the smell vividly. It won't explode, will it? It shouldn't, but if it, if it lines the entire room, it should light enough for all of us to see clearly. There is only one way to find out. Worst case scenario is that it explodes and the cave collapses. At least it will kill Crixus as well. Be ready. I feel as if a fight will be on once I do this. Lord Anubis, prepare your scales for judgment, whether it be my soul or that of our enemy. Formir unleashes his magic as a burst of fire engulfs the wall and proceeds to travel multiple thin lines within the cavern, shedding light throughout. When the fire stops spreading, the group sees that the cavern inside is very large. In the back, coming over a set of rocks, rises Crixus, master of beasts. He stares shortly at them, as he then lets out a haunting howl as four more wolves rise from the darkness and stand next to him. He leaps from the rocks and lands with a nearly thundering clap as he draws slightly closer to the group. Still, he stares at them, seemingly into their very souls, as molten fire drips from his mouth, sizzling on the ground where it lands. More lambs to the slaughter. Fresh food for us you are. The children were not filling. He has been marked by Anubis. I can see it hovering around him like a cursed plague. Fire. Death. It all means the same thing to me. Grixus, we have come for your head. You sent your pack after the children of the village, and we're here to avenge those deaths and send you to hell. Come, brethren. Let us feast. Mind if I uh, take this one? Be my guest. I will tell the fight between Kriv and Abrax if you'll handle Formir and Marcel. I can live with that. Crixus and his wolves rush towards the group as Kriv unleashes a battle cry. Marcel rushes forward and slightly to the left to deviate from the whole group of wolves, hoping to find one on its own. Formir's form changes quickly as he shifts, his hair growing longer and large claws growing from his hands. Abrax digs his heels into the hard dirt and launches a divine flame from the ground underneath Crixus. However, he is able to dodge out of the way just in time. Within just a few seconds, Marcel and Abrax find themselves face to face with three of the wolves. Just a short distance away from Crixus, Kriv and Formir. The wolves dart toward Marcel as he brings his sword down upon their flesh, carving deep into one and diverting its maul from himself. However, the second wolf latches onto his other arm begins thrashing around. Formir sidesteps quickly as the other wolf misses entirely and digs his elongated claws deep into the wolf's ribs. Formir, I need a hand here. I'm coming, Marcel. While this quick exchange is happening, Abrax rushes in and turns his back toward the wolf he is facing just in time for his shell to take the brunt of the wolf's attack. He spins back around and grabs the wolf by the throat as his eyes emit a dark aura. Necrotic energy envelops the wolf from his hand as Abrax unleashes his divine magic, drawing the life force from the wolf in one casting. Seeing this, Crixus steps back as Crib swings his greatsword, hitting the ground and chipping part of the blade. 
You do not get to run, Crixus. This is where you will die. Formir removes his claws from the wolf as blood pours onto the ground filled with bubbles. He has pierced the wolf's lungs. He shoves the other wolf over and leaps onto the one mauling Marcel, who is now prone, protecting himself as best he can. Formir shifts his form entirely while midair into that of a wolf and attacks the one that has Marcel pinned by grabbing his throat and wrestling it to the ground, sinking his teeth deep into its flesh. Marcel scrambles to his feet as he shoves his sword into the wolf that Wolfmere just attacked, taking its life. There are now only two left. Crixus inhales as he changes position and exudes fire in a small area in front of him, engulfing Kriv and barely catching Abrax in the flames. Seeing that Kriv took the worst of it and smelling burning flesh, Abrax channels divine magic once more and rushes to Kriv and restores some of his life force with healing magic. Kriv, still burning from the hot fire, rushes Crixus, but once more misses his attack as Crixus is just too fast for him to catch right now. We have to find a way to keep him still. Abrax, he is too fast for a wolf that size. I cannot catch him. I have an idea. We need the others, though. As Marcel kills the wolf, Wolfmere releases his grip and turns his focus on the wolf Marcel struck earlier. The wound on its shoulder is deep as part of the bone is exposed. The wolf rushes at Wolfmere. However, he sidesteps and counterattacks. Wolfmere bites down onto the open wound, crunching through the bone, crippling the wolf. As he releases, he notices a look in the wolf's eyes of almost sorrow, as it seems as if it had come to its senses once more, just in time for death. Marcel spins and swings his sword at the wolf that Formir clawed, cutting through the spinal column, killing it instantly. Only Crixus remains. It's just us now, Crixus. No one else to hide behind. Who said anything about hiding? Marcel Slavon. How do you know my name? I know everything. Enough. This abomination must be exterminated. Formir, now. Formir reverts back to his human form as he digs his hand into the earth. The earth beneath them shakes slightly as vines and roots erupt from the area around Crixus, incapacitating him. Kriv rushes forward and finally sinks his sword into Crixus's flesh. Not impressed, Kriv. Maybe your father would have been a better adversary. Shut up, you devil! Abrax unleashes the divine flame once more, centered on Crixus, slightly singeing some of the fur from his body. Crixus suddenly breaks free of the vines and roots and bites at Kriv, sinking his teeth deep into his shoulder. The smell of burning flesh fills the air once more as the fire in Crixus's maul has engulfed Kriv's torso once more as he cries out in anguish. Crixus throws him to the side and lunges at Formir, using his sharp claws to slice at him. The attack hits its mark as blood begins to pour from the wound on Formir's chest. Marcel grabs a small stone in front of him and catapults it towards Crixus. It makes clean contact with his head as he has now drawn the ire of the devil. Crixus looks at Marcel's and smiles before rushing at Abrax and biting down on his leg. Abrax winces as the teeth make contact with the bone. 
Kriv tries to stand, but falls over momentarily. After a split second, he musters the strength to climb onto his feet. Marcel, be ready. Kriv attacks Crixus from behind as Marcel attacks from the front. At the last second, Crixus dashes to the side, causing both attacks to miss. He then turns and breathes fire on them once more as they fall unconscious, unable to continue fighting. This is the best that you can do. This is the resistance that I am met with. You are weak, insufferable insect. I will send you all to an eternal damnation. Crixus goes to bite at Formir once more. Suddenly, there is a bright burst of light within the room, blinding Crixus for a moment. When he regains his vision, he sees the four have risen to their feet, their wounds healed, looking stronger than before. What is the meaning of this? Oh yeah, uh, we forgot to tell you something. We talked to Artemis before we came in here. You know, one of the gods that kind of owned your ass last time you showed your ugly mutt. Except this time, you are not returning to the Underworld. No, you will instead answer to the Judges of Eternity. HOW DARE YOU STAND AGAINST ME?! Ooh, this is where it gets good. The four all rush towards Crixus, splitting their angles of attack to trap him in between each other. Formir focuses a spell of ice on Crixus as the frost begins to form around his entire being, chilling him to the core. Abrak launches a bolt of pure radiant energy, putting an outline around Crixus, making it easier for the others to land their marks on him. Marcel gets behind him and grapples onto his hind legs, trying to keep him from moving around, as Kriv brings the greatsword down across his back, cutting deep. Blood and ichor flow from the wound as Crixus reels back in pain, biting at Marcel to get him off his legs. Marcel has no choice but to release him after being bitten on his arm once more. Crixus retreats into the corner of the cavern and stares at the party for a moment before letting out a devilish growl and bark, causing the group to lose their hearing as it nearly bursts their eardrums. Wounded and nearly defeated, Crixus leaps towards Marcel, trying to bite down on him once more before Mirror is able to swing his club just in time to knock him down. Abrax comes up to him and sinks his claws into Crixus's ribs, pulling them backwards, filleting the flesh from the bone. Marcel stands and puts a sword straight into Crixus' neck, as Crib does the same through his back, pinning him to the ground. Now's our chance, end it! All four rear back and strike at once against the devil, causing him to fall to the ground, seemingly dead. It is not over yet. Abrax, send him to your patron. Great judge and shepherd of the dead, we beseech your power! Call forth this ancient evil, that it may be judged in the courts of the damned, to suffer in anguish for all eternity. Anubis, Lord and God of the dead, steal away this devil's spirit. Lock him far away into it. See that it may be that he never existed. We make this offering to you, as his soul has been marked by you, O Great One for the atrocities that he has committed upon creation and this world, I beseech you! The cavern suddenly goes dark. A burst of green fire consumes Crixus as he cries out. The wolf body burns away quickly as Crixus's true form is revealed as a revolting being of evil. 
Anubis speaks indistinctly over the darkness as the fire begins to consume Crixus's very soul. After a few moments, the fire bursts once more and dissipates. Crixus is nowhere to be seen as the lighting in the room returns to normal. The four stand there for a moment, looking at the scorched earth where Crixus was claimed by Anubis. The air surrounding them lightens, seemingly having a large weight lifted from it. They begin to breathe easier as every second passes. Well, we actually did it. We did. However, we are definitely going to feel like garbage in the morning. That's the truth. Do you think that uh, the children's bodies are still intact? We won't know until we look. I think I see one of them over there. The group approaches the area in which Marcel has pointed out. There, in the dim light, they find the bodies of the children from the village intact, but maimed. The four sit there for a while, just staring, some with tears in their eyes. After reality sinks in, they realize that they are faced with a hard decision. We can't leave them here to rot like this. They deserve better. You are right, Abrex. We should return them to the village and give them a proper burial. Do any of you still have any of the cloth from the desert? I have some, but I left it at Chris's when we come here. I have some still tucked inside my shell. It should be enough to cover them so we can transport them back. I can carry them the way if you will allow me. If you become tired at any point, I will take them. Well, let's get them loaded and head back. Gods, I don't want this to be a part of this. But it's the right thing to do, and I don't know if I can face their mother. It is okay, Marcel. Like Crixus, we will face this heartbreak together. All four of us. Abrax and Formir wrap the bodies in the cloth and tie them shut. Abrax lifts them onto his shoulders and begins to exit the den, making his way back to the cave mouth. The rest follow him, heads hung in sorrow instead of held high in victory. The battle was won, but the price was much higher than they were prepared for. As they exit the cave mouth, they see in the distance a large elk once more. As it turns to face them slowly and drops its head, seemingly in a bow of respect and honor for a service done well. It then steps into the trees and dissipates from its form, returning to its master once more. The forest seems to breathe a sigh of relief as the wind picks up slightly, carrying small seeds throughout the opening that land in nearby tree lines. The sun now rising shines brightly upon the four heroes as they make their way back into the tree line. Marcel. Yes, Chris? Crixus called you Slavon. Is that true that you are a descendant? I am. I had heard there were no descendants left in that bloodline. Well, obviously that was wrong. However, I am the last of my bloodline left alive. That is really all I know. Our family history was wiped from the record books hundreds of years ago and only picks up again about four generations back. Well, I had read somewhere that the Slavon family were servants and craftsmen for the dragons at one point in time. Well, until the war that, you know, obliterated everything. 
Yeah, that's what my father used to tell me. That it is about the last entry before it goes blank for 300 years. I wonder why all the records of the war of your family have been erased. They must be hiding something. Or they're protecting future generations from something that could come from historical discoveries. I have a feeling we'll never know. I don't think I ever want to know what happened. Whatever whatever it was led to the death of the bloodline somehow. Maybe father wouldn't lie about something that serious. Then we continue as we are, facing each day as it comes, as we need to. If I may ask you all a favor, do not mention to anyone my name. There are still those that wish me harm from within Dragalia, and I would rather live my life without that headache present. Well, of course, Marcel, but why would anyone hunt you for just your name? It is said that my family was cursed by the dragon for killing him and his kind. However, there's no proof of that ever happening. Those who believe that the dragons should have won the war and be in power have been after my family ever since that moment. Understood. The journey back to the village is a somber one. The slight chirping of birds can be heard over their footsteps However, it is overshadowed by the weight of the children on Abrax's shoulders. The wind blows just enough to cause the treetops to sway slightly from side to side, allowing some pine needles to fall and be carried away by the breeze. After an hour, Crib takes the children from Abrax to give him a break, as he is large enough to carry both children in his arms. This is something the group has never felt before. Great triumph followed by immediate sorrow. They were unable to protect these children from Crixus, and now they are faced with the task of returning their bodies to their mother. They journey the last hour in silence, mentally preparing themselves for what's coming, the mourning of a mother who watched her children die. With a yellow hue in the sky now, the group emerges from the trees and sees the village once more. They draw closer as they notice Ozark and Thomas standing at the edge of the village, awaiting their return. I take it that you were successful? Yes, just not as successful as we wished for. Crixus is defeated, yes, with Anubis having taken him from this plane, however. We have managed to bring the children's bodies back for a proper burial. It's the least that we could do for them. After all that has happened. Damn it. I'll be in my place. I can't bury any more kids. Not in this life. Thomas turns and begins to leave when he sees Carissa approaching. She walks past while squeezing his arm in a comforting manner and goes to the group, wraps her arms around each of them. I'm glad to see you all return safely. I prayed all night for each of you. Thank you, Carissa. Crixus has been taken by Anubis for judgment, but I feel that we will not hear from him for a very long time. How is their mother? She is not doing well at all. I see that you brought their bodies back. Maybe being able to bury them will give her a sense of comfort. Maybe not. We will have to wait and see. She is in her home right now. I stayed with her until she finally fell asleep. Let's prepare them first and make them look a little better than... I'm sure they do 
before we bring them to her. We also need to find a suitable place to bury them. I, I know a place. It's not far from here. Maybe after you all get them cleaned up, I, I can take Marcel and Criv with me to scout it. See if it's still, you know, what it was years ago. You don't have to do that, Thomas. No, I, I, I know I don't, but I need to. Thank you, Thomas. Boys, come with me. This is just the beginning of the hard part. They all follow Carissa back to her home and enter to find Henrik washing dishes. As he goes to turn around, Carissa speaks up and implores for him to keep focusing on the dishes for now and that she will call him whenever they are done working. Henrik turns back around and gets back to work as the group carries the children into Carissa's room and places them both on a table. Carissa unwraps them as tears begin to well up in her eyes. Well, why don't you get me a bowl of water so that I may wash them? Gods, this is just not fair. Abrax returns from the cauldron with warm water and hands it to Carissa. Marcel, Formir, and Kriv stand back as Carissa and Abrax begin to wash the children's bodies of the mud, shedded wolf hair, and blood. With each wipe of the cloth, more and more innocence is unveiled from underneath the mess. Once the bodies have been cleaned, Carissa takes the time to do some repairing on their necks where the wolves took hold, nearly hiding the puncture wounds entirely from sight. When they're finished, all in the room step back and gaze at the pureness of what is in front of them. That which was not guilty of anything, and yet paid the price of death. That which was supposed to bring joy, but are now the harbingers of heartbreak. Carissa then finds new linen sheets to wrap the children in as the group returns to the front room. After a short moment, Carissa enters carrying a small glass container. I've never had to use this oil for this reason in my life. What oil is that, Chris? Olive oil. Pure and without blemish. I used it when my son died, but he was a grown man. Criv, Marcel? Yes, ma'am. Thomas is probably waiting on you. Why don't all of you go ahead and go? I'll finish preparing the children. If you don't need any more help, I'll gladly go find their resting place. I will be fine. You boys go and make sure Thomas gets there and back in one piece. We will come back here when we return. Alright. I'll see if I can talk to the mother afterwards. Man. I could not imagine this level of heartbreak, honestly. I can't believe they were able to just keep going after all of this. Maybe, just maybe, they will turn into the heroes that Jormandar needs. The group leaves Carissa's home and goes to Thomas's, ready to go in search of the perfect resting place for innocence. As they walk, they notice that there are no children playing in the street on this day. There are no workers walking from one place to the other. The small dirt streets are completely empty and silent. The walk to Thomas's house takes little time with there being no visual distraction present. As they approach, they spot Thomas standing next to his mule, loading himself into a saddle as best he can at his age. Thomas, do you need some help? No, I'll get it. 
The day I can't do this on my own is the day I might as well die. Is the mule's leg well enough for the journey? Oh, gods, yeah. Turns out she was faking the whole time. I caught her in her lie by sneaking back into the house and looking out the window at her. Immediately stopped limping and acted as if she was fine. So I jumped out and fussed at her, and she's been acting right since. Sounds like quite the performance. You got that right. Either way, y'all ready to head out? It'll be about a two-hour walk northeast to here to get to where I have in mind. I'm sure we'll be fine. We've walked much longer before. If we can walk through a desert, we can walk through a beautiful countryside as well. All right, boys. Let's go. Thomas leads the group to the northeast of the village. The sun, now risen completely, casts warm rays of light throughout the small valley that they are traveling through, breathing life into the surrounding area. Tall grass sways with the breeze as small animals such as rabbits, groundhogs, and foxes can be seen moving through the shorter foliage. An hour passes as they begin to climb hills and descend into deeper valleys. I almost forgot how beautiful this place was. So did I, for me. So did I. How much farther is it, Thomas? I figure we still have right at an hour before we get there. I know it's a bit of a walk, but I remember seeing this place when I was returning to the village all those years ago. If I could have, I would have liked to have buried my family here. Do you think their mother will make the journey to see them? I do. And if she doesn't, I know that Ozark, Carissa, and myself will come to tend to their graves as as often as we can. But she'll come. I wish we could have saved them. I would have preferred it to be a rescue mission rather than a quest for vengeance. I do too, Kriv, but we cannot change the past. He's right, you know. Life deals out a hand of cards when you're born. Sometimes you get to play and draw your hand. It might be a good hand, or it might be a bad hand. You can't change the cards you're dealt, but you can change how you handle the dealer and the outcome of your hand. Those kids are gone, yeah. But there are a dozen other kids that'll be safe for however long because of what you did. Don't you ever forget that you took a crap hand, drew an ace, and then played it. Now, we have to deal with another bad hand that was dealt to all of us. Let's just hope we can find another ace in the madness. Somehow that helped, Thomas. Thank you. All right. Let's keep moving. We're getting pretty close now. They continue walking for another 45 minutes or so as they start to go uphill. Finally, they reach the top of a small mountain, seemingly that overlooks flowing hills for miles. The sun shines through the clouds in such a way that it seemingly dances across the landscape. They stand there for nearly half an hour, just looking across the vast creation in front of them. It's everything I remembered it being. (laughs) The soil's still soft, too. If I had to bury my boys today, this is where I'd put them. It is very beautiful here. It will be a good place for visitors to sit and enjoy the view while they mourn the loss. It's nearly perfect. I couldn't have said it better myself. Let's start heading back. By the time we get them here, 
It'll nearly be supper time. We'll have a two-hour walk back home. It's all right with you all. I think I will stay here and dig. I'll stay and dig with you. Thank you, boys, for taking that load off of us older folk. Thomas, I think Kriv and I may stay with them and help prepare the site. And that's quite all right. I'll be back in just a little while with the rest. Thomas heads back to the village as the group sits and looks at the scenery for a while longer. They then break into two groups as Formir shifts into a canine form once more and begins to use his new claws to break open the earth. Abrax does the same in a space a few feet to the right. Kriv and Marcel begin to look around for any wild flowers and branches as they begin to mold and create grave markers for the children. After three hours, the holes are now deep enough to bury a human and the grave markers are completed. Kriv and Abrax go in search of large stones to place in the graves to keep wild animals from digging the children up after they are buried. After a short amount of time, they return with an acceptable number of rocks to protect the bodies from wildlife as they place them to the sides of each grave. If they are coming straight back, they should be here soon. I'm going to go look for some fragrant flowers to place in the graves with them. I'll come with you and help the search. I'm fond of nature after all. When you return, I think it may be a kind gesture for us to mark the stones with our deity symbols. I agree. I will go ahead and mark them with Vulcan while they are looking. And let us decorate their graves as best as possible before they arrive. Abrax and Formir set out to look for fragrant vegetation, while Kriv and Marcel begin to mark each stone with the symbology of their faith. Fifteen minutes pass as Formir and Abrax return with an armful each of beautiful and precious flowers for the children. When they return, they each take the time to mark upon the stone their faith's insignia. As they finish, there is movement from behind them as Carissa, Thomas, Ozark, and the mother approach carrying with them the children. The mother still cries uncontrollably as the shock of the event has worn off now, and pure sorrow has set in. It is time, dear. I know. I just... I understand, Evelyn. Better than most, I understand your pain. This, this must be done. Even though it hurts too much. I don't... I don't want them to be gone. Abel, Cassie... They will not be gone, though. Crivish right, Evelyn. They're not lost entirely. How not? They are dead. My children, they're... Remembered by all of us. I believe I can speak for the rest of my companions when I say we will never forget them. And we'll always carry them with us, no matter where we go. Right. Thank you for bringing them back to me. Thank you. She walks to each member of the group as she wraps her arms around their necks finally collapsing on her knees in front of the graves afterwards. Okay. I'm ready. Ozark and Thomas lie the bodies in the graves as Formir and Abrax begin to drop the flowers in. Carissa kneels next to Avalon, putting her arm around her and comforting her during this trying moment. Kriv and Marcel begin to place the stones onto the grave as Ozark and Thomas shovel the earth on top. When the graves are filled, Kriv and Marcel place the grave markers and return to stand with the rest behind Avalon. 
still crying slightly. She stands as she pours olive oil on both graves and turns to walk away. Thomas and Ozark follow her as Carissa says a short prayer before doing the same. The group stays for another hour, watching the sun set in the distance as the shadows cast by the grave markers grow little by little. Lord Anubis, please guide these innocent souls to safety. Please, they deserve better than this. He will, Abrex. He will. Let us not forget this day, nor let us forget Abel and Cassie. Agreed. We must carry their memory with us as we journey to Hagenfall and after. I believe the time has come for us to return to the village. This trip took more out of me than I thought. I should be fine to go to Hagenfall in a couple of days. Let's get back to Carissa's for one more night, at the least. I'm fine with that. We need to go and see Thomas before we leave also. We told him we would come and say goodbye before we left. And for now, let us go home. Alright, who's cutting onions in here? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. You need a minute? Yes, please. Alright. The group set off for the village once more. As they begin to walk away, they hear something behind them as the flowers they placed upon the graves are pulled upwards into the sky. Before their eyes, they see Anubis and an unknown deity standing at the graveside. They both reach out over the graves as the group watches the souls of the children rise as they take the hands of each god. Anubis and the other deity turns to the group and nods in acknowledgement. The children let go and approach. Thank you for helping my mommy. Anubis and Diana told us that you helped her feel better. It was our honor and privilege, little one. Rest easy in paradise. The children return to Anubis and Diana and take their hands as they are whisked away in an instant to the afterlife. The four stand there for a moment, staring at the sunset as the flower petals fall back to the earth. Then they turn and leave each with tears in their eyes. When they finally reach the village once more, they see Thomas and Ozark standing outside of Thomas's house, each with a cup in their hand. I thought we'd have to come looking for y'all. No need. We stayed for a while and watched the sunset with the children. Did, uh, did Diana come? She did. Along with Anubis. They each took a child by the hand and led them to the afterlife. It was beautiful to watch. I bet so. I wish I'd stuck around to see it. I guess we need to go back to Chris's for now and help prepare dinner. Ah, that's where we're heading now. She's still with Avalyn cooking dinner for her tonight, so she opened her home to all of us to have a meal together. That sounds like a lovely idea. What did you all have in mind? It just so happens that I slaughtered one of my lambs while you were searching for the site. So, how about some lamb? That sounds delicious. Alright, y'all head on that way. I'll grab my coffee and bring it over. I'll go and grab the lamb meat and some vegetables. I'll be that way in just a moment. The group returns to Carissa's and waits the arrival of Thomas and Ozark. The house is empty as they assume that Carissa has taken Henrik with her to Avalon's home to help her care for her in her time of need. About 20 minutes goes by 
as there's a knock at the front door. You gonna leave me out here like some ashamed lover, or are you gonna open the damn door? <laughs> I'm coming, Thomas. <laughs> That's my boy. Where I need to set the coffee. She's got an open counter space over there. Perfect. Ozark will be here any second. I saw him closing up his place on my way. Well, speak of the devil. Ain't nobody home. I guess I'll have to share this lamb with the pigs then. You ought not to make such hateful claims, Ozark. I've got a fire going strong now. Good. It should be ready in just a little while. They all sit and drink coffee until the food is ready. As they sit down to eat, Carissa returns home looking exhausted but happy to see everyone. She joins them at the dinner table, where for the first time today, she laughs out loud as she is overfilled with joy. It's been so long since it's felt like I have a family around this table for dinner. We should do this again before you all leave for Hagenfall. I would be more than happy to do so. I'd have to agree on that. Don't y'all forget that all of you are supposed to come by for a night of coffee and card playing before you go. Mm, trust me, Thomas, I would not miss that for the world. We would hate, however, to take all of an old man's money. Hey, now. I'll have you know that I don't have any money for you to take. He's not lying there. Either way, it's getting late and us old folks have got to get in bed or we'll feel like death warmed over in the morning. Oh, I agree entirely with you there, Thomas. I need to head that way myself. It's been a lovely evening with all of you. Before I go, how is Evelyn doing? She's improving a little. She was able to eat a few bites before I left to come home. Did Henrik help you any? No, he stayed here while I went. Is he not here? We have not seen or heard anything. I hope he's alright. He said something this morning about returning to Midgar, but he didn't say when that would be. I'm sure he's aware enough to keep himself out of trouble. Well, Ozark and I are going to hit the road. We'll see y'all tomorrow. Good night, you two. Thank you for dinner. The group and Carissa clean up quickly and turn in for the night. While they lie there in the fire's light, they begin to hear voices whispering outside of the house. Formir stands and looks from the window as he is taken aback by a ghost standing there, looking at him. Who are you and what do you want? We felt the exit of a powerful spirit nearby and knew that this would be our only chance. Only chance for what? At this point, the rest of the group have gathered around the window behind Formir to hear this conversation. We have been held captive by a necromancer for some time now. We ask that you would go to him and end the curse, freeing our souls to pass into the afterlife. Where would we begin to look? Two days west of here is a bog called Blitzen Swamp, in which we were lost. Within it there is a necromancer that has lured us into traps and slayed us all keeping our souls captive and to grow in power. I don't know if we would be able to actually help you or not, sir, and we don't know how to lift a p any particular curses at the moment. As he finishes his sentence, the spirit of a small girl walks into view and smiles at the group. 
In her arms, she carries a small teddy bear. And what is your name? I'm Sarah. Is she being held captive as well? Yes. Hey, Brax. We cannot guarantee that we will have the ability or the knowledge to lift the curse, but we should be able to at least slay this necromancer to give you some sort of peace. Any form of effort is appreciated. Thank you. Yes, and as Abrax said, we will try. Do you know anything about what he's doing there? He has turned nature against itself, drawing the life force from the surrounding area. We stand by and watch as wildlife succumbs to his power, just to be raised once more as thralls under his dark power. There is an altar that he has built in the middle of a swamp to an evil being. Destroy that altar. It may end the curse. We will go as soon as we can. I promise you. We must leave now. He looks for us. Sarah, come. The ghost dissipates as Sarah steps toward the window and begins to speak to Marcel. When you get to bed, man, will you do me a favor? Of course, sweetheart. Will you take my teddy to my daddy? He lives in Tigerfall. Will you give it to him? Can you let him know that I'm okay? I will make it my life's mission, Sarah. We will take it back home to your father. Thank you. She disappears into the darkness. The group lie down this night, tasked once more with saving a child's soul from the clutches of evil. I mean, who could say no to that? Like, I mean, to deny a little girl her path to eternity? No way, man, no way. No one with a conscience could have. In the morning, they will set off west to Blitzen's Swamp to protect what is innocent and slay evil one more time.